This episode is brought to you by turkeys, mac and cheese, and snuggling up with your family for the holidays. Welcome back, everybody, to My Fave Queer Chemist. I'm your host, Beck. And I'm Geraldo. Yesterday was LGBTQ plus in STEM day. And with that, we want to celebrate all the amazing people that identify as part of the LGBTQ plus community who are also in STEM. Representation really matters and together we are strong. So with that, here's our show. Hello, everybody. Today, we are so excited to introduce y'all to an incredible scientist and graduate student. Would you mind introducing yourself? Hi, yeah, so my name's Stephanie. Sorry, my cat's eating next to me, so he's low-key. Sorry if you hear cat eating noises, but this is what we're working with. Uh, my name is Stephanie. I, um, I work at the Moon Lab at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. I'm a third-year graduate student, um, and currently I'm studying how um, general chemistry and just chemistry students in general go about their science practices for chemistry. Cool. Well, welcome to our podcast. We're happy to have you here. We're going to get started with our questions. Can you tell us about how you got interested in chemistry and what was your experience as an undergraduate at the University of Nebraska-Morris? Yeah, so I got really lucky. I'm not going to lie. So I first like came in not wanting to really study chemistry and I didn't really like it that much just mm-hmm. because I think it was kind of one of those gatekeeper courses and it just wasn't as interesting to me. And then in my second semester of chemistry, I had this really incredible instructor named, I'm forgetting, Abby Fisher. And she just was so enthusiastic about it. And she just like made it so much more interesting. And I think that's when we started getting the more spicy stuff too. That just was like Mm -hmm. mind boggling and you wanted to know more. And she also like encouraged me to apply for like some summer research programs over at my school. And so what we ended up doing is I applied because she had suggested it. And I was like, yeah, this would be fun. I'll just have a summer job. And I got into doing like some like rudimentary chemed stuff with her. And it was, I don't know if it was life-changing is the best word to use, but like it really got me interested in like seeing how people learn and making it more accessible and like culturally responsive to things that we're doing in chemistry. But yeah, I credit Abby Fisher with a lot for helping me get into chemistry. That's so interesting that like one of your first like experiences with chemistry was from like a chemistry education lens. Like, is that, did you kind of like always feel like you wanted to go into chemistry education? Like because of that, like initial experience? Um, Kind of. Well, so first of all, like when I first went into it, I did not think what I was doing was chemistry education. I thought like I signed up for a project to make ethanol out of coffee grounds. (laughs) Um, and then I didn't end up doing that, which is totally fine. Uh, someone else is doing it and that's very good that they did that because I didn't have any of the organic experience with that. Mm Um, but yeah, I, she just, the way that like, she was so enthusiastic about teaching and like teaching it in an accessible way for people to know and not just like the same, like gatekeeping way that tends to happen for chemistry. So that really helped. And then I also went to this, um, talk like in either my first semester or second semester over at U of M Morris and the person the entire like point of the talk was like she went to med school and she was on track to be a doctor and she had always thought she's gonna be a doctor everyone told her she was gonna be a doctor and in her first like few months in med school she dropped out she was like I hated it I was having a breakdown I got diagnosed with major anxiety um and I just couldn't continue doing it and she um 
then decided to like go and pursue a master's in education to teach secondary, to teach like secondary sciences and especially specifically like chemistry. And just like the talk was like, it really resonated with me because I was always like told growing up like, oh, you like biology or oh, you like chemistry. You're gonna be some sort of like big STEM person. And although that can be true, like I just didn't feel as much as like an attraction towards it as much as like, I really liked teaching it in a lot of ways. That's awesome. I need so to make I guess... a, oh, sorry, I'm back. I need to make a no, correction. No, no, I said, I said, I was going to say Minnesota, Morris. Yeah, yes. no, you're good. You're good. <laughs> yeah. okay. It's a real tiny, it's a very tiny school. And I'm really like surprised when people can actually find it. <laughs> yeah. I just got switched with the, the Nebraska grad school. You're good. Yeah. It's all the Midwest. It's yeah. they're all the Midwest. <laughs> kind of blend together after a little bit. <laughs> So I guess that kind of brings us into this next question. Um, you're now a third year graduate student, correct? Right? Yeah. I want to make sure I got the timing correct. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah. You're now a third year grad student at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. So what drew you to this department and how have your first few years in the program been? Yeah. Um, honestly, what drew me to my the department is that there are chemed people there. Uh, we only maybe have like a up to like 20 something programs across the nation. And I kind of just knew like, wherever I go, there has to be someone I'd like to work with. Um, and so I was looking um, at a school in Minnesota for a master's degree. I was looking at University of Nebraska, not University of Nebraska, University of New Hampshire, and then University of Nebraska Lincoln. And I visited here and I really liked that I was staying in the Midwest. Um, I, it kind of scared me to go really far away from my parents and then COVID ended up happening and it felt like it was too far, but I really liked that I stayed in the Midwest so I could like kind of keep some of those like cultural things that happen within the Midwest because it was kind of shocking to go to the East Coast and be like, people are so direct here. I don't know how comfortable I am with that, but I went to Nebraska and I got to meet with like two really awesome commend people um, and one of them ended up being uh, Dr. Moon and we just, I, I felt like we clicked right away and I was like really inter interested in her work. Like she was considering a lot of like quantum mechanics and how we're like specifically how students understand light matter interactions and no one else had done that in chemistry yet. And I was like, that's like the stuff that interests me. Like I love physical chemistry, not good at it, but I love it. Um, and then we had like a follow-up talk. She, we, before Zoom was a thing, she like Zoomed with me and I was sick in bed and she was, I was like, I want to talk to you right now. We have to do this. And I was just like, I just wanted to work with her. I thought this is, is going to be where I want to go and then I also don't think this was the smartest thing but I like saw a Cornhuskers thing when I was in Minnesota and I was like this is a sign I have to go there and <laughs> yeah I'm not saying that's the best way to make a decision but it's what led me to where I'm at now and it felt right at the moment yeah oh, we're about to have a visitor sorry oh, oh hello oh. <laughs> hello cat have we ever had a have we had an animal on the podcast? Yet? I think we've had. I think we have dogs, but not cats. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This is a cute well, cat. Yeah, his name's Franklin. Uh, he's a time. He's a needy boy. He's named after Rosalind Franklin, but he does not cute. have any of her badassery. You know, we have here. Okay. <laughs> so, kind of continuing with your time at the University of Nebraska so far, how has your experience been as an LGBTQ person um, and do you find the department to be like relatively supportive and inclusive of LGBTQ people? 
Yeah, so I guess like I can start with like the context of where I came from. So U of M Morris is probably what I think we're listed as like one of the most queer friendly places to attend school. So I came from like a really, really queer friendly campus and like I purposely like wherever you went, there was probably a gay person there and we were made it as friendly as possible. Um, and that going from there to here was kind of a shock because UNL is a little bit more conservative and also Nebraska is a much more conservative state than where I grew up. Um, so I kind of felt out of place at first and that I didn't really have a community. And I was like, where's my community? I don't just want to go to a gay bar to like go hang out with a bunch of people. Like that's totally fine, but that wasn't really where I wanted to be. Slash like it just wasn't going to be healthy for me. And then I like pretty much came out to my lab group right away. And I was like, hey, just so you know, if you're gonna be working with me, I, I'm not straight. And I, I think I purposefully asked people who, before I came here, I'm like, do you know of, like how LGBT friendly this is here? Like, mm-hmm. is this a queer friendly place? And like, we've been like working on it since and I've been like finding more resources. So we have a lot of cool like state programs that I like to check in on like out in Nebraska. Um, it's like a nonprofit and they hold like online game nights. They also have like a, they had a birding event earlier this week that I was like, I want to go to that. And then I saw the time and I'm like, (laughs) okay. And yeah, and I I found like my students are very accepting of me. Um, I don't, I'm not necessarily as like strongly out to my students I'm teaching now because I'm teaching like a hundred something students within the course of two days. And it's just a little bit harder to like connect with them. And I'm in like a very large classroom slash I'm only with them for about 50 minutes. So I'm like, "Mm." Maybe now is not the best time to come out. But mm-hmm. um, back when I've been teaching labs, like I'm always like pretty open. I'm like, yeah, my partner and I were doing this or yep, we went to these events. Um, and there are people within my department who may not be as like accepting of who I am, but I am still pretty out. And I'm like, yeah, I, I don't date men. I date mostly women and other folks. Mm-hmm. And that can make dating challenging. I was on a panel and I outed myself. So at this point, I'm just like, what else are they going to do? Yeah. Are there like a lot of other queer people in the like graduate program that you've like kind of connected with? Yeah, there's a couple. I also went on a writing retreat earlier this semester and we um, we had like a option to be in like a gender inclusive cabin. And so I clicked it. I was like, oh yeah, it'll just be like undergrad when I had like gender inclusive housing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we ended up calling ourselves a queer cabin because we were all like some <laughs> of queer in there. And I was like, this is where cool kids are at. Um, and it's just been really nice to like be with them and like mm-hmm. talk with them and have those moments since like a lot of my department is like very white, very male. And that's that's totally fine. Those are great people, but like they don't necessarily have the same like experiences that right. I would. Right. We both mean like women, but we're both not liking women with like the same pursuits. Right, right. That's very cool. So switching gears a little bit, as you mentioned, you currently work in the Moon Lab doing some chemistry education research. Um, I think you talk a little bit about this, but what did you decide to pursue the PhD in ChemEd and what's been the, one of the biggest things that you've learned doing this type of research? Oh, that's a good question. So I don't think this is why anyone should go to grad school, but I felt like the only thing I was going to be good at was pursuing, like doing this PhD for ChemEd. And I was like, well, I don't want to have to deal with the real world. You deal with the real world in the PhD program. And uh, I... <laughs> would yell, I'm going to yell at my former self if I ever encounter her. Uh, um, (laughs) But I think I like ultimately decided to pursue that PhD because I was like, if this is like, I'd like to pursue this community even further and be more involved with it. 
And to do that, you usually have to be in some sort of post-secondary setting and that involves either getting a master's or a PhD. Um, and at first I was like pretty convinced, like I wouldn't make it into a PhD. I was like, I don't think I'm smart enough. I probably don't have like the tools to get there. And then one ADHD diagnosis later, and I realized I had the tools. I just didn't know I needed them. Mm-hmm. Um, and like <laughs> since then, I've just been like having a blast with doing my PhD. Like I just fully passed my candidacy exam, and like Ooh, my boss congrats. Was, like, Thank it's you. Very exciting. Congrats. And I just got like really encouraging comments from some of my committee members, and they were like, "Wow, you've really grown, and you're saying that you're going to do this research because no one else is going to do it as well as you." And I was like okay, uh, yeah, I was trying to say that so you would like pass me, but I guess it's true. <laughs> um, and yeah, I just, I, I've gotten like really good feedback on like a lot of my research that I've been putting out there so far. And it just, it, it just, I think it's an encouraging community that I like feel very strongly towards and I like want to pr- continue staying in. Mm-hmm. So it's like the broader science education community. And like the biggest thing I've learned is that I don't know a lot. And the things I do know is that are like very like small things. So like I can like talk to people about like science practices and like why they're important to have and like how we can develop them and how we can like um, continue fostering it within our chemistry courses. But in reality, like I don't know a lot and I'm kind of like learning to be okay with that. It still sucks. I'd like to learn more, but like it's, it's going to constantly happen. Yeah. Yeah. Nice, nice. So I guess kind of going along with that a little bit, what do you think is like one thing that you really want, like the chemistry community as a whole, like outside of chem ed research? Like what is something that you want the chemistry community to know about like chemistry education research? Okay, my first answer to this is that my work is in chemistry. Mm -hmm. Um, I may live at the intersection of like the social sciences and like just STEM in general, but like I still study chemistry and I still take all the courses everyone else has to take on top of education courses. Mm -hmm. Um, And often what ends up happening is I know more than some people and I'm not afraid to say, no, you're wrong. This is how it's going, Um, which I think intimidates some people and that's unfortunate, but um, but yeah, I guess for people who are like outside commit, like you should consider using our practices. Like we're developing them for you and it's going to help you in the long run too. And also it's, they're at actual science. So we can, we can use it. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I think like, so you may know this, we have a chemistry education research group at the University of Michigan, Ginger Schultz yeah. group, and she's amazing. And like, I got to work under her, like whenever I was like, as when I've what am I trying to say whenever I was a graduate student instructor um I like did organic chemistry lab like under her like guidance and stuff which was really interesting to just kind of like get that training and like learning from an actual professional who does this for a living and intentionally like studies this for like a wide variety of reasons and things Mm -hmm. so I feel like that like really enriched my experience as like a graduate student instructor and I've been to like some of her like labs talks and things like that. I think like, it's just, it's nice to see that and be exposed to that more because I had no idea that that was like even a thing going into graduate school. So I just yeah. feel like I've, I've just learned a lot just by having like some like lab in our department. Like I think mm-hmm. all of, all of the people in our department have like grown and learned a lot because of that. Yeah. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I sometimes 
sometimes when I'll tell people I'm a qual like I do like qual research within chemed, they're kind of like, what's that? And like chemed is a thing. And I'm like, yeah, it's a thing. It's okay. You don't know about it, but I'm in graduate school for it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, decide it's made up. Yeah. And you also mentioned something very interesting is that you put out there tools to, to help teach chemistry. And I've had like amazing professors that are so smart and they know so much about their chemistry, but they're so bad at like imparting that chemistry to students. It's like, you are great as a chemist, right? But you need to learn also how to, you know, be a good professor in terms of how to teach people. Yeah. <laughs> and there and are I, tools for them, right? Yeah, there definitely are tools. I think a part of it also just comes to like the structure of our institutions and that we're not always incentivizing teaching or like offering these workshops. Mm -hmm. um, or even like, we're like not, we're not asking them to like take like a teaching pedagogy class or like a right. teaching practicum. But because those are becoming more and more available, I'm starting to just be like, mm, it's a good tool that people need to start using more mm -hmm. and more. Yeah. We are going into post-secondary education. Definitely. So switching gears a little bit, um, you mentioned on your LinkedIn that you strive to create an inclusive STEM courses that have historically relied on a lot of gatekeeping. How do you incorporate this goal of yours as a grad student and you know, teaching in, in, in other areas? Yeah, I was really surprised people found my LinkedIn because I, I don't go on it that often. We always do like, I mean, I should preface like we always do like some snooping around the mm -hmm. internet to like find like ideas for things like questions and things like that. So that's why. Yeah, yeah. we do a little bit of I'm research. like, sorry. Yeah, we were, we were kind of, we do like a little stalking to get like this yeah. information. So if you're interested uh, in being a podcast, we will find about you, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll find out anything like relevant yeah. about you. Oh, right. Relevant to the podcast. We don't want uh yeah so I think that comes down to like my yeah so my goals as like an instructor now and also like more on when I have more power over what I can do as an instructor um for like what I do now um uh one of the things that I've been like thinking I've been thinking about for like future research for me because I had to do this from a candidacy exam you had to come up with an original proposal was like thinking about, okay, we have disabled students within chemistry, right? This is a huge population. And we're about to have a lot more because of the pandemic. Like, let's mm -hmm. be real. Like, we're going to have a huge onslaught of students who have chronic fatigue, brain fog, like, and these, this qualifies them as disabled. And um, we need to start better preparing our classes to be accommodating for that. Because as the way they are now, it's generally not very accommodating. Um, and so one way that I've been trying to just make this easier is that I will allow my students to zoom in for attendance. I try to make a like, uh, hybrid, both virtual and in person. And if they can attend in person, that's great. I, I would prefer that for a lot of folks, but also that's just not the reality we live in. And not everyone like is going to be able to do that. And it's not even just for people who are disabled. Like some people will just randomly get sick. And they'll still want to attend class, but I'm like, we're in a pandemic. Don't come in while you're sick. Please stay home. I don't want to get sick. And there's like 100 students and one of me. So I've been like really big on that, at least when I've been like teaching recitation. Um, and then for lab, what I try to do is I try to learn everyone's name, which is very difficult. And it's harder for me to do now with like 100 something students. But when I'm teaching like maybe like 60 students, um, I usually try to have like some sort of campus quiz. That's not graded, but it's like a quiz you can do on Canvas. And I try to get them to share a name, whatever name they would like me to use in class for them. Um, I always try to ask them about their pronouns because like, I'm like, what, what should I, how should I be referring to you in class? Because that's just like 
basic human decency. Um, and also like I try to like open it up. So like, what are some things that you wanna gain from this course? And like, how are you feeling about this course? Um, and just trying to like accept that I'm going to have to teach differently because some of the ways that I teach are gonna be great for some people. And for other people, it may not click right away. And I have to be willing to accommodate that and do my best to help them with that. That's an that's a really interesting point of like bringing in the, I feel like we don't, we don't really think too much about like how to create like inclusive and accessible spaces for people with like living with disabilities, like, mm-hmm. especially because I feel like most of the people, at least that we see in our classes are people with maybe like invisible disabilities that you can't really like put a finger on it and like Mm-hmm. see that right away but I think like that is that's I feel like that's a really good point and interesting to see like what the research kind of develops into like over the next you know five or ten years or whatever as this is like becoming a little bit more like in the like mainstream knowledge of like how to actually create inclusive spaces yeah and there's definitely that's not to say that there's no work right now like we had a best practices from ACS come out like it came out 20 years ago, but it came out at some point, right? And we ha- it's the best practices guide for how to work with like grad students and undergrad students who have disabilities. Um, and then we have like tons of cool researchers. We have some biology education researchers, um, a lot of engineering education that look at like identity with um, disabled students. And then recently there is a study, it came out in the this biology education journal that was like looking at students who have ADHD and how best to like support their self-advocacy and that's what like really started getting like motivating me to look I'm like well there's just like there, there's stuff happening that's not to deny that it's not happening but like there needs to be more and more because this is kind of a forgotten like minority that we have mm-hmm. yeah definitely oh, I'm so excited to see like what work you end up doing yeah <laughs> yeah it's, it's gonna take a minute because I gotta get through all of this <laughs> right right, uh, right right but yeah, someday, like, I'd like to, like, start looking at this because, like, chemistry is a course that a lot of people have to take. And I don't want, yeah. like, people to, like, not pursue their major or what career they want because they couldn't, like, make it through a chemistry lab or some sort of chemistry course. Yeah, definitely. So I guess kind of going along with that, this question, like, fits really well with what you're just talking about. What role do you think graduate student instructors play in the development of younger undergraduate students who are just starting out their scientific training? Yeah, so we've been having this conversation a lot in our lab because we have an undergrad who proposes for his NSF um, GRFP proposal, mm-hmm. um, but he actually wanted to do like a study to look at like interactions between grad instructors and students in the lab to see like how like that could like what interactions there are and then like how that might lead to like better retention or better grades theoretically I I don't I can't say but anecdotally I think they have a huge huge impact I know like for sure it comes down to like how well are they teaching in class right if like they're they're able to help their students through and they're showing like their students that STEM can be a welcoming environment and it can be inclusive like it's going to open a lot of doors for students but then like some instructors like may you may have like more adverse interactions with like I remember I had a TA I think my one of my first chem TAs he like no one wanted to talk in class and he like threatened to throw a marker at us and I was like "Mm, yeah don't like that (laughs) never want to do that again yeah no uh he was in grad he was in grad school too after I left so don't know what's up with him now hopefully he's doing a little bit better um but I think they have a huge impact and I 
I kind of, I'm hoping that we can see, start seeing more research and what impacts they have. And not only for like conceptual knowledge and how students are learning within their courses, um, but also like how like students' interests can change based off of like their interactions with their TAs. I think anecdotally, we all have like a TA or instructor that really motivated us to like get through our courses and to start opening doors for us. But I also wanna see the evidence for that so we can start doing some more research into best practices. Yeah, definitely. And uh, what you mentioned earlier that when you try to, you know, learn the people's name, when you're trying to learn their pronouns, that also big, takes a huge impact on the student because, you know, oh, this person is actually interested in knowing me, you know, and, and my education and all that. So that's like very impactful, I think. I have great, I've had had great TAs and yeah, you know, it, it really makes a difference when they, you know, care. Yeah, definitely. So one of our most famous questions that we ask, <laughs> um, who is your chemistry role model and why? And you can have more than one if you, if you want to. I think it kind of, I don't think they know it because I haven't told them and I probably need to tell them at some point, but my <laughs> former organic professor and then my former Gen Chem 2 instructor, Dr. Abby Fisher and Dr. Nancy Carpenter, and they're just like both really badass profs that I've had. Um, <laughs> They're also just both queer women that they kind of just like they they were open and out, especially living in the Amazing. small town that I was. Yeah, yeah. That's so cool. They were both out like in the town that I was in. So my college was like very very queer friendly. Like people came there because it was queer friendly, but the town we were in wasn't necessarily like that. It was a town of five thousand, and one of the more rural, um, very conservative areas of Minnesota, mm -hmm. and like they literally there gets like there is harassment over at like the high school there um over just some bullying for lgbt mm -hmm. students and just some not great things happening but like these professors were like out and they taught out and they also were just kind of like look sometimes things suck and you know we can like mourn that but we also got to move on we got to learn chemistry today that's on the curriculum we got to get mm -hmm. that done um and they just i think opened up a lot of doors and they were just honest with me too they didn't sugarcoat things, which although I, again, I don't like sometimes because I'm from Midwest and I don't like directness working on it, but they like, weren't afraid to say like, Hey, it's, it's going to be hard going to grad school. And like, Hey, right now, like, especially around the 2016 election, things are going to be rough and it's going to be scary, but like, we're going to get through and like, it's going to be okay. But yeah. They also just like have been encouraging for me. They're always like, yeah, you can pursue chem ed. It's going to be hard, but you can do it. <laughs> Well, yeah, you should definitely tell them um, that they are your chemistry role models yeah. if they don't know that. Or just tell them to listen to the podcast and then they'll get to hear like a nice little <laughs> shout out for them at the end. <laughs> I'll send them a Facebook message. They all follow me on Facebook. And I know at least one of them knows I'm a PhD candidate now. Mm -hmm. yeah. Nice, nice, nice. So last question, um, where can people follow you on social media if they would like to connect with you? Yeah, I have uh, a username I have not updated for years. <laughs> it's at S Snorkels or at Steph Snorkels, either in Instagram or Twitter. I'm probably, in, Twitter is more of my professional space and Instagram is more of where I uh, tell people about my candidacy exam and posing in front of a minivan. Um, <laughs> oh, that's so cute. But, yeah, <laughs> if anyone's ever like interested in ChemEd or they want to talk more about like, education and how they can like better practices yeah always connect with me I'm always willing to talk awesome. perfect well thank you so much for being on the podcast I feel like we learned a lot 
today. We don't really like talk. We haven't talked to too many like chem ed people on the podcast before. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much for like telling us a little bit about your research and your goals and kind of like your life at Nebraska. Yeah. Yeah. And thank you for for introducing your cat to us too. That was so cute. That That was really important. He's kind of a diva out of the two of us. He always. (laughs) (laughs) So cute. Well, thank you so much. Have a good night. Um, Yeah. Have a good rest of your night. Bye. Bye. We hope that y'all are being safe and healthy and continue to support each other during this holiday season. Please, please, please get your COVID and flu vaccines to keep yourself and those around you safe. Remember to fill out the nomination form on our Twitter if you're interested in being interviewed for the show. You can follow us at MFQCPod. Take care, everybody, and stay safe. We'll see y'all soon. Bye. Adios. Thank you.